Um, well, I just wanted to, uh, you know, really take this opportunity, first of all, to talk a little bit about um, our scouting staff, the job they've done this spring. Uh, you know, as always, it's a very difficult job to manage the number of people uh, in the in the system that we have to uh, work through between um, all the pro players uh, from free agency, unrestricted free agency, restricted free agency, non-tendered players, um, you know, potential trades, releases, things like that uh, that are um, you know constantly part of the system, um, as well as the you know, entire draft process uh, with. Um, another record number of underclassmen this year, 130-some, whatever it was. Um, and let's say just in general, um, a continuing smaller sliver of opportunity to evaluate the players. I'm not saying we don't have an opportunity to do it, but it just gets progressively smaller on a number of areas um, throughout the process. So. Uh, it's, you know, I think, really a very, um, a very thorough um, job by Nick uh, and and his staff. You know, Nick does a tremendous job. He sees literally every player, all the pro players, all the college players, as well as being in all the staff meetings and being a part of all the things we do from a coaching standpoint. So it gives us a tremendous um, opportunity for him to connect with the coaches as well as and understand the schematics and and what's going on on the coaching side of it to try to uh, integrate and correlate the players that uh, we're evaluating on all the different levels um, I thought Dave Ziegler and his staff um, did a you know, did a great job in free agency of, of uh, again organizing all that uh, they continued uh, because, of, again, the uh, compression of the pro days, the college pro days, um, which has been going on, but now it's, you know, this year it's really got compressed in a pretty much of a two-week period. Um, so we had to, you know, rely on those guys to supplement um, our pro day activity as well in the spring. So um, Dave and his staff um, did, a, did a great job of, of helping us there with the college process and uh, Monty and and his staff, uh, who have been working on the draft since uh, the day after the 2018 draft, uh, well, actually before that, but let's call it the day after the 2018 draft, um, again, compiled um, an enormous amount of information, uh, both from a football standpoint, character, medical, um, and so forth, um, you know, on, on several thousand players, uh, which, you know, gets whittled down to, I don't know, call it, you know, 100 or so in the final analysis, but it, you don't know what that number is going to be uh, until you go through the entire process, and it's a very lengthy and, and tedious one that uh, Monty and his staff done a, I think done a great job on. So um, those guys certainly deserve a lot of a lot of the credit for the the success that we've had, uh, the players that we've been able to acquire, and it's been a, an enormous mountain of work that they've produced. Uh, Really on a daily basis, but it, you know, it, it adds up over weeks, months, and, and years at a time. So um, being able to coordinate everything in there, uh, which Nancy and Brian Smith do a tremendous job of, um, just the volume that we have to deal with and their ability to put it in um, places where you can actually work through it, meaning in a meaningful way, is 
an important part of the process as well. So, um, that being said, um, you know, this is a pre-draft press conference. I'll, um, you know, entertain anything relative to the 2019 draft. Um, just say as a prelude to that, uh, you know, obviously many of our 2018 draft choices um, had, you know, partial uh, seasons uh, or minimal in some cases. So now we're excited to see how those guys will, will do this year, obviously. Um, you know, it's a hardworking group. Um, those guys are here um, on a very consistent basis, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to you know, get a much longer look at, at the 2018 draft class than uh, we were able to get last year. But moving ahead to 2019, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of draft picks. Uh, as we sit here today, um, I don't know that that necessarily means that they will or won't be there uh, on draft weekend. We'll see how all that goes. Um, just evaluate situations as they come up and try to make the best decisions we can for the football team. There's no set goal in mind as to how many picks to have or what, what to do with them. Just want to try to make good decisions at every opportunity we can to improve our team in whatever way is possible. And that includes everything. So. Um, all part of the team building process, and we'll see how all that plays out. But um, you know, from a draft standpoint, we're in the middle of our 30 draft visits this week, uh, so we'll finish that up uh, this week and, and into next week, and then kind of finish up our final preparations um, with you know pulling it all together uh, between the, the film evaluations, character evaluations, medical evaluations. Um, and trying to really get a, as good of a, a predictor as possible as to how the player will uh, fit in and perform on our team in our system in New England, uh, regardless of what, what the league value is for the players, really what the player can do for us is the final, uh, what the final evaluation goal is that we're trying to achieve. So that's, um, that's kind of what we're working on now. We we track that and uh, we track it the best we can. I think there's uh, a lot of misinformation that's out there now. There's uh, sometimes other accurate information that you can obtain for one reason through one source or another. Um, so I think sometimes it's it's relevant. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's not the team right in front of you. It's a team somewhere else, a team that could be, depending on what round you're in, uh, at a location behind you that, um, you know, maybe looking at a certain position or a certain player uh, that could affect your draft strategy as well. So, um, you know, the team in front of you might, might not have any need for a, or, or even, you know, they wouldn't even want a type of player, maybe a players that you're considering. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything because anybody could move up into that spot and and take that player. So, um, it, it, so it's all relevant. It's you know, I, I know you're right. In the first round, I mean, we're not going from 30 to eight, so that's 32 to eight, whatever it is. Like that's not realistic, but. 
Um, there could be a team at whatever, 40. That's really more of a problem for us than the team at 31. So each round's different, each situation's different. We try to, you know, usually have a decent amount of time between our picks to identify, okay, here are the players that we're considering. Um, here are the teams that are around us. Uh, if one of those teams is, you know, actively trying to trade out, uh, then that means somebody's going to trade in. And who would that, who could they become out for? How would that affect us? What do we want to get ahead of that team? Do we care? You know, and so forth. The only reason I mentioned is just to give a, an anecdote or a case study is the Gronkowski <coughs> man drafted 2010. You moved up two spots, got ahead of Baltimore. Yeah, again, there's a yeah, a lot of those. Matt Light, um, you know, was another example of that. Uh, Eugene Wilson. Yeah, I, look, there's there's multiple examples of it, and and moving back is um, obviously just the reverse of that. Uh, you feel like you could take the same player at a, at a lower point in the draft and acquire another asset somewhere. Um, you know, it was merit to doing that. You don't want to lose the player that you want, but uh, maybe that's a player that, or maybe there are multiple players there, and there's not in that particular circumstance that big of a differential. Um, so you can you know gain an asset gain value by doing that then there's a strategy that's makes that uh, you know, consideration how much is the, the Jimmy Johnson from that trade chart how much has that changed over the years and you find that everybody's working off that same model if you will um, I would say that the uh, in general the trades over the last several years for the most part have been um, let's call them pretty within uh, five to ten percent, pretty equitable trades. So, um, for you to have a chart that's different than the other 31 charts isn't really that productive because now we're just arguing about what chart. You know, my chart says this, your chart says that. So, I'd say officially or unofficially, well, it's unofficially, but I would say everybody probably uses about the same. Uh, value chart, uh, I'd say in our draft uh, trade negotiations through the years, the last, I'd say the last, especially the last two, three years, there hasn't been a lot of my chart says this, your chart says that. Now, 10, 15 years ago, there was some of that, you know, oh, here's what we think it should be. Well, you know, the other team's in a different ballpark because they're looking at a different, different chart. Um, I, I would say that when you look at the trades now, over the past few years, the majority of them fall uh, within what we would say is is a range of a fair trade. So what what the going rate would be is what the team gave up and what the team got is about what you would expect them to get, whether it's our trade or not, just looking looking league wide. So um, you know the first round's a little bit different because you know you're trading for a very specific player at that point. Um, not that you're not trading for a player in the second and third round. I'm not saying that. When the team moves up, they move up to to take a certain player that they want, but not everybody's necessarily after that player. Uh, whereas in, in the first, you know, five, ten picks, whatever it is, when you're trading there, 
you know, you're trading for a certain guy and and when they trade out of it, they know that they're trading away from that player. You know, it might be one or two players, but it's a you know much much more defined situation. Bill, uh, oh, when a veteran's involved in these trades, do you think of the veteran in terms of pick value, or how does that? Value? Yeah, again, we right, sure. So um, you know, we have the the different um, values that we place on future picks, current picks. Um, the round values, and again, you know, being the first pick in the round and the last pick in the round is not, not quite the same value, um, and so that can come into play on future picks. Uh, veteran players, depending on their um, age, contract situation, um, and you know, level of play. Um, again, we would find you know we have comparable. Um, Comparables that we would look at on that, so you know, a start, a rotational player, a backup, a, a player that has a certain amount of play time, or a player that has a certain amount of production. Um, that there are comparables of those trades, whether it be player for player trades or player for pick trades, and so that's. And again, certainly there are trades that fall outside of whatever the norm is, uh, but you know we have norms that we look at and that's a norm and you can do better than that, you probably feel like that's, you know, maybe about as good as you can do, uh, assuming there isn't an unusual situation where there's a high demand for the player. And if it's below that, then you decide whether or not you want to accept a maybe a little less than market value uh, for the trade, but you still feel like the trade benefits your team, so you decide to do it. So, uh, but yeah, we the, certainly the, the player for player or player for pick trades are, uh, Different than the pick for pick trades, but we we try to evaluate those as well. And a lot of it again is based based on play time, production, um, and age and salary, because you know salary is definitely a factor in what what the trade value of a player is. Bill, uh, you mentioned the scouts have put in a lot of work uh, in this draft. Uh, the coaches are part of the, the scouting process too. They do a lot of interviews. Uh, they get in on players at their position. Uh, you guys have had a lot of transition on the coaching staff this year. Uh, have you noticed much effect on, on how you guys are scouting and setting your board and, and how the new coaches are you know, settling in with their new roles? Uh, probably a little less than normal. Doing it, but still less than less activity with the coaching staff mm -hmm. for the reasons you just articulated. Does uh, losing your defensive coordinator at this point in the process, does that change much as you know, how you scout or are going to be drafting on that side of the ball? Uh, well, I mean, we're not talking about an unprecedented event here. So, yeah, we've dealt with changes before and we'll continue to deal with them. And I guess I just got to ask, uh, any plans on how you're going to replace the defensive coordinator moving forward? You mean relative to the 2019 draft? Draft and the season that comes yeah. after. Yeah, let's kind of stick to the draft for right now, Ben. But I appreciate the question. Yeah. I really appreciate you asking that. <laughs> when you use the word uh, comparables or comparables, uh, when you have players at positions that make an indelible mark among the most complete, best players at their positions in their careers, and, and you have to draft players at those positions, what's the, the unrealistic, I imagine, that? And try to find the next guy who transcends and is an all-time great. So how, how do you how do you deal with that situation? You know, for example, Rod announced his retirement. So if you're looking at tight ends in the draft, 
how do you evaluate them fairly uh, and totally. Yeah, well, I think for us, we have always looked to the future. So each player is different, each situation is different. Um, whatever a player was or wasn't in the past is in the past. And we our decisions are for the future. So uh, what player can we add to our roster uh, in whatever way we add them uh, that will is the best decision at that point in time for our football team? And that's, that's what we look at. Not, you know. Mike Vrabel and Ted Washington and you know Deion Branch, Randy, whoever. I mean, it's Vince Wilford. I mean, it's Teddy Bruce going right down the line. There's a million of these guys. McGinnis. I mean, just keep talking about them. Troy Brown, Kevin Falk. It's you know none of them are in this draft class. So we'll look at this draft class or whatever other players are available and make the decisions that we feel like will benefit our football team in 2019 and beyond. Evolved, but I mean, this is nothing new. Players come in different shapes and sizes every year. But as positions have changed, the games evolved. Do you have to change or alter the way that you evaluate a player at a specific position? Uh, well, I think you you know you have to have a, some awareness of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, each each situation is a little bit different. I mean, it's you know be a, certainly a much longer conversation. I'd say that, look, we have our standards at each position, so height, weight, speed, um, and other criteria are a standard. So some players are below that standard and are good football players. Some players are below that standard and aren't good players. Some players are above that standard and are good, and some players are above it and they're not as good. You know, So that's not the final evaluation, but it is a standard. And so as those standards have changed, I mean, you know, when I came into the league, when I was at the Giants, a standard for you know, defensive tackles was like 6'2", 285 pounds. I mean, offensive linemen, you know, 6'5", 285, 290. I mean, those guys now would look like, you know, the midgets. So um, it's changed, and our, and our standards have changed. Um, but again, relatively speaking, you're still – Evaluating, you know, what the player's total performance is going to be, not just the the standards. But, I mean, to your point, if look, if if two thirds of the league um, have running type quarterbacks and quarterbacks that are athletic and are going to scramble and are going to be those kind of players, then you better be ready to defend them. And if teams are going to be three receiver sets in the majority of offensive formations, then you better be ready to put five defensive backs on the field and be ready to have a slot corner. And if you want to have a slot receiver, then you know you, you need to have a slot receiver. If you want to put three out there, somebody's got to play in the middle. So there, there certainly is a degree of that. Um, and I think that's, you know, those are things you have to, you know, be mindful of. And I'd say usually they kind of, you know, hit you in the face. Usually you sit there at the end of the year and say, well, you know, we had a lot of trouble um, blocking this player or defending this type of player, or whatever it is, and then you, you know, it kind of becomes a need for you that well, we have to find, either we have to change our scheme to do this, uh, which probably isn't that easy, or you would have already done it, or we have to, you know, have another certain type of player on our roster that we don't currently have that has a certain type of skill set. So, you know, this this is another year where there's a lot of big receivers, 6'4", 225, 230, whatever they are. I mean, 
you know, somebody's have to cover those guys one of these days. You know, I don't know if it's all going to be this year or not, but and there's plenty of them in the league right now that are that fall into that category. So, um, you know, it seems like there's a little bit more of a, you know, emphasis towards, you know, the smaller, quicker slot receivers. Um, so, better find somebody to cover those guys too, if, you know, and vice versa. How difficult is it to project how a player in college will fit into your offense when you're looking at high weight speed and obviously him playing with a different quarterback in a different system? And how has that process evolved over the years for you and your staff? Yeah, well, it's the same battle at every position. I mean, you're you're looking down the same, looking down the same road, really. You know, I'd say the issue in college football is there just is not the same passing game in college football as there's in the NFL. Period. So. It's hard to evaluate the receivers. It's hard to evaluate the quarterback. It's hard to evaluate the offensive linemen. It's harder to evaluate the pass rushers, and it's hard to evaluate the coverage players. So, but you know, we're all looked at the same film. So, you know, all the teams in the league are, you know, we, we all see the same games. But the college passing game is is very different from the professional passing game. So, you know, when you're looking at it, you're looking at a lot of it's really projecting all those positions a little bit differently. Um, you know, to a certain degree, it's different in the running game too, but probably less difference in the running game than in the passing game, in my opinion. Is so, that part of the reason you guys had more success importing veteran guys for that position than drafting them and projecting them and having more company system because you've seen them illegally. Well, I think it's always easier to evaluate NFL players than it is to evaluate college players. I mean, that's, you know, look, we get a guy from another team, we're going to watch him play against many of the same teams we play. We just haven't seen him play in our system, but we've certainly seen him match up against, you know, other players in our division or other players in our conference or, you know, comparable players. So in in comparable schemes, which is, is critical too. Again, in a lot of cases in college, you're projecting a guy from whatever his college scheme is into a totally different scheme, and you know that's imperfect. So, uh, but again, look, we're all we all have the same opportunity here. So it's the same players. Uh, we're all watching the same games, and we all have to make independent decisions from team to team as to you know how that player will fit into whatever team it is that's. You know, trying to make that fit. So, but it's it's it, it, to your point. It's much harder in from college to the NFL than from the NFL to the NFL. Thanks, everyone. All right, great. All right, thank you. See you in a couple of weeks.